Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way, back with you guys for another show, another episode of our Analyzing Arsenal series show, which we look at the previous Arsenal league fixture, break it down and see how Arsenal have fared and how they might move forward into their upcoming fixtures. To do that, I'm joined today very happily by Josh Williams again. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? Are you good? Always good, mate, yeah. And it's nice to join you on the back of an Arsenal win. Yeah, which is becoming a habit, which is quite nice. Nine games uh, unbeaten now, seven in the league. We obviously will be facing your boys very, very soon. That's going to be an interesting one to to break down. But uh, your, your result against Brighton did give me a little glimmer of of maybe that there's a little something uh, that might be in store for Arsenal fans. But we'll we'll cross that bridge uh, when we get to it for sure. But how have you been, Josh? You've been well. You've been good. Still enjoying the football. I have been, yeah, yeah. Um, not so much enjoying Liverpool, as you said, with the uh, the Brighton <laughs> results. But um, yeah, Premier League football's good. Threading the international break a little bit. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of it, I'll be honest. But mm. um, yeah, we're getting into the season now. It feels like, you know, 10 games in, we can start looking at the numbers a little bit more, they're a little bit more accurate, a little bit more reliable. So yeah, it's good to get into the season. So let's just get kind of your thoughts around around the Arsenal game and how you think they dealt with that lesson. Because it was kind of deemed as the first big test along that unbeaten run since the North London derby. They overcame Aston Villa quite comfortably. And what they failed to do after the North London derby was obviously carry on that winning run. They drew against Brighton and then drew a home to Crystal Palace. And so they wanted a reaction after the win against Villa. And, and they got that with that kind of really dominant first 20 or so minutes, getting the two-goal lead. And then when Leicester came into the game, they defended really astutely and and there was it looked as if there was no chance for them to get through, especially when they did finally get past the defence. Inspired Aaron Ramsdale was there to to stop them. So what did you make of it overall? Yeah, I thought it was a very impressive performance, actually. Um, going away to Leicester City is not an easy fixture. And as you said, I think Arsenal started very, very well. We know they've got they're developing a bit of a tendency lately to start doing that. Um, but I think, crucially, they capitalised upon it, much like they did against Spurs a few weeks back, actually getting the goals on the back of the dominance. Um, squad two went, you know, went ahead, and I know we mentioned a few weeks back that the Arsenal developing a little bit of a tendency to once they gain a lead, just kind of retreat into a block. I think that did kind of happen, but it was almost unavoidable when it happened because because of Leicester Leicester's need to get back in the game. Whereas mm. I don't think it was Arsenal specifically doing that as a predetermined tactical almost. And when they did do it, they they coped much better. I thought in previous weeks. Um, not only on the defensive side of the game, but also in terms of, you know, getting out on the other occasion and things like that. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a very impressive performance and one that bodes well, considering you could argue those two sides are going to be, you know, vying for similar spots in the league table at the end of the season. So, Arsenal like convincing winners on the day to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to go into some of the intricacies of the game and some of the specifics, but looking at kind of how the shape again, and we, we kind of like to do this in each episode, look at the passing shape of, of the side and how it changes game by game. And whilst it was a more dominant display against Aston Villa at home, as you talked about, they, they had to cope with a lot of intense Leicester pressure. And, and that meant the two centre-backs being slightly deeper and not being able to say escape, although Ben White still did try a few times to dribble out from the back as he likes to do. But interestingly, Lukonga, which we'll come on to, had such a kind of a, an influence on the way that Arsenal played. He was involved with three of the top five passing combinations on the day and he's really proven to be a, a, a kind of a real replacement for Granit Xhaka's influence when we look like we might be struggling without him in those games against Brighton and against Crystal Palace. 
Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, that's that's what he was shining for. He was shined according to Arteta, I think, because Arsenal didn't really have m- many options in that department if a player was out and things like that. So when it comes to judging transfers in the transfer window, it is difficult in the moment to judge a transfer because it, it, a lot of it depends on how he's used. You know, what's the plan for him? What's he going to be doing when he's on the field for, for Arsenal? And I think based on the early season so far, I think Arsenal's business in the summit is looking a lot better than it actually looked on paper when it happened, simply because of how Arteta's used to play. You know, Nuno Tavares, we're going to come on to. Sammy Lacongo's playing really, really well. He looks like he's got quite a high ceiling to me. Um, I think he was captain at Anderlecht, am I right in saying that? Yeah, so, he was, yeah. Yeah, so he's obviously got, you know, the mentality, character side to, the, to his game. But I've been really impressed watching him. He looks like he's, he's very well-rounded and could get to a point in a few years' time when he reaches his, his prime, his peak years. Where he's, he looks like he, he's probably going to have very few weaknesses to his game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you look at his kind of style as someone. He calls himself an eight. He said he prefers playing in the number eight role rather than the deeper number six position. And the way in which he was progressing the play through to Tavares, but also through to to Emil Smith Rowe and Abamyang, and even out to the right hand side with a few passes as well. He's got such a range of passing, it seems, and he wants to drive that ball forward either through dribbling or through his passing. So. I saw him as kind of that player that was brought in knowing that Thomas Partey has suffered with a fair few injuries during his time at Arsenal already and we haven't really got a ready-made replacement and someone who can add that same dribbling and passing kind of progression to their game. And he, alongside Granite Xhaka, which when Partey leaves Arsenal in January for the African Cup of Nations, it's going to be really important that Lokonga was ready to take over that that kind of that, that position. And uh, and it looks like he's going to be doing that really, really well. Uh, you talked about uh, some of the other players on the pitch. Lacazette's position in the Arsenal team continuing to kind of really intrigue uh, as to what role he's starting to be used in. It's really difficult to say whether or not Arsenal are using a, a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1 because it, it shifts so much during the game when they're attacking, certainly at Lacazette's as far up the pitch as, as Aubameyang is. But he does tend to drop in and, and provide that supporting link. Do you think this is kind of a role that is tailor-made for, for Lacazette's style or would you like to see him being kind of played more and closer up to the defenders? Not one thing I've actually been impressed with with Lacazette over the years is I think he's a lot better on the ball than a lot of strikers. He's a um, much better passer than I think he's given credit for. Very good at linking the play. Very good at playing, you know, cute passes around the corner and things like that. Linking with the first touch. So I think Lacazette's definitely got that to his game. And just looking at Arsenal's match against Leicester, um, he, he did kind of. It was a bit of a four-four-two in my opinion, but it was kind of a, a typical. A traditional four four two almost in the mold of like a Henri Bergkamp, fully enough. Yeah. Um, where you've got a, a Bamiyang occupying the Henri role, stretching the play, using his pace a little bit, and maybe just finishing moves, and that's kind of it. And then you've got Lacazette doing the Bergkamp role, where he's kind of dropping a little bit deeper, linking the play, and just providing um, a presence in that number ten space, so that they're not just dealing with a fixed two up top, which is you know easier to defend against, basically. Um, but yeah, I do think it's I do think it plays into Lacazette's strength. I don't think it's a a role that he's been presented with that won't allow won't allow him to shine. I think he's he's capable of thriving in that role. And of late, he's obviously forced himself into the team. I think he he came on a few matches ago. I saw him come on and just immediately, just in terms of his character, he just seemed to yeah, Palace, put, himself, put himself about. Yeah, put, Palace. I think it was. I think Arsenal scored on the back of him coming on from a delivery from the set piece. Mm. Um, He's obviously been around the block. He's quite an established player now. 
Yeah, I think he's about, he's about 30 years old, is he? He's 30, yeah. Yeah, yeah so he's a player that, I, in my opinion, I think if I was Arteta, I would play into his qualities, at least for the um, remainder of his time. But I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be at the club. Well, yeah, but, I was um, going to ask you about that. He's got six months left on his deal. Um, Arsenal are known for wanting, and, and Football.London understands that a striker is kind of in the the, the, the thinking of the, of the club going into the 2022 summer window. But do you think that based upon the performances, and I know it's a small kind of sample size right now, but if it was to say continue on, that they should push to try and extend him, especially with Aubameyang having only a year left after this season? Yeah, that's a really, really difficult decision that the Arsenal have to get right. Um, it's, I think it's impossible to say at the minute really whether whether that should happen because he, he is in the mould of the type of player that you probably would accept we can let this player go. We can get any younger model who can do it for the next five, ten years at Arsenal mm. on a lower wage. Um, that's sort of, and probably less likely to physically decline in the media future, less likely to get injured, maybe. But on the other hand, if Arteta is going to keep playing like this every week, um, and this is going to be kind of a, a fixed go-to now um, moving forward for the for the next season or two, maybe. Mm. Lacazette his, is a very good option if that's the case. I think in, in previous seasons, having Lacazette and Aubameyang both available in the squad has been a bit of a problem because that, they're, they're almost both so good that you have to play a, a front two almost. Um, so in, in that sense, it, it would make sense to get rid of him. You'd be a bit freer, you'd be a bit less hands tied behind your back. But mm. if he's getting used by this every week now, it would make a degree of sense to keep him, but it would all depend on Arteta. We wanted to talk about Tavares and kind of the, the influence he's having on the side with Kieran Tierney still out. And it's it's been a bit of a debate amongst Arsenal fans now. If Tierney comes back fit, does he get straight back into the team? And for my money, two games is not enough for me to say he should be starting over Kieran Tierney in a fully fit Kieran Tierney I believe to be one of the best left backs in the league so it's difficult but he is providing something different and a couple of the examples here that I've highlighted are just how his dribbling is so different to to Tierney he likes to take players on inside the field and and take players around and and use the space that opens up from beating his man and it's that confidence that he has it's risky and it's dangerous and I think at times against better sides that have got say when we come up against Liverpool in a couple of weeks if Tierney isn't playing if Tierney sorry isn't fit he could get caught out doing this style of of play but it is it's paying off for the moment and he is having an influence on the team. Yeah, he's he's looked very, very good, I must be honest. He alongside Laconga. I mean, my role my role at Reach is is football scouting writer, fully enough. So I should know about these players, but I'll be honest. <laughs> Laconga and Tavares both drifted under my radar, but and when Arsenal signed them, you know, I think on the back of Arsenal's recruitment the past few years, there wasn't elements of doubt in my head as to whether these players are going to have enough potential to reach eventually Champions League level. Mm. But if you look at Tavares so far, I have been really impressed with him. And although he might make the odd mistake, and you know, in terms of his dribbling, he might get caught out once or twice, mm. his recovery pace is that good that he's never re- it's never really a massive problem. It reminds me a little bit of Alfonso Davis at Bayern Munich. You're not he the first can- person I've heard say that, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, he, he can do that sort of thing, but he's that quick that he can just he can get back relatively okay. Mm. Um so yeah, I have been really, really impressed with Tavares and as you said, I do think it is a question mark as to whether Tierney should come back in immediately or or whatever. But at the same time, I do agree with what you're saying regarding 
Tierney being one of the best left backs in the league. Do you think that? Do you think when it so we've got Watford next, Tierney? There's no indication that he is going to be back fit, but the international break could come at a really good time for him to kind of recover uh, and get back. You then have the Liverpool game, and that left hand side, whoever's going up against Mohamed Salah, has got a, a ridiculous challenge, and so. But even then, Tierney's kind of defensive qualities have always been the area that he's been questioned about. So do you then bring back in Tierney, who you look at as a more mature, he's 24 now, he's got a lot of Premier League experience, has played against Salah before, or do you keep faith in the guy that's been playing well so far? It is a, a very good question. It's uh, it's tricky because I think Tavares has the, the, the physical qualities to probably cope with Salah. Um, but at the same time, Salah's so tricky and so informed at the moment mm. that maybe you would bring that element of just know-how, experience. As you say, Tierney's played against him before, you know, somewhat what to expect. So that's an interesting question. That actually, I hadn't thought about that one. Um, but just, just in terms of Tavares, yeah, just specifically his physical qualities. Mm. And that's one thing I've picked up on Arsenal in general in the past well, so far this season. Yeah. Watching watching Arsenal the last few years, the team have come across to me just so slow. Um yeah. so immobile at times. Yeah. yeah. But really immobile. And I think this season just adding the likes of Laconga, Tavares, Smith Rowe, players who are just who have got vigour about them, players who can cover ground, players who are yeah. physically able to compete in the Premier League. I think that's mm. been a massive boost for Arsenal this season. I think that the distribution as well from the back has helped that wildly. Like you look at the, and we're going to come on to Rams now. In fact, I think he's the next person we're talking about. He's indeed like the distribution from him, the way that Ben White's so much more mobile than say Rob Holding last season and being able to play out from the back. Lukonga, you've talked about Partey staying fully fit is a big, big plus for, for Arsenal as well. But it's really interesting because we talk about how good Ramsdale's distribution is, and it was good. But ironically, he had the lowest passing accuracy of a game so far this season. But he also was involved in more passes than he has done. 35 there was, but only 60% of them reached their target. But as you can see from the graphic there, the ones that weren't reaching their target were the, the longer passes, the, the ones he's just hitting it long. I think when Arsenal a bit under pressure, lay back to him and there's no real option short to him to, to take the risk to. But still within those long passes that did concede possession, there were still some amazing bits of drop kicks that went straight to Aubameyang in the middle of the field, the, the directed low-driven balls out to Lacazette at times. It's We talked about this before, that you never really picked up upon his distribution abilities whilst at Sheffield United or Bournemouth because he was always so peppered with shots from opposition teams that it was not really an element of his game that you could pick out that easily. So again, he's, he's proven that point. But it is interesting how he kind of switched it up a bit in this game and went long so many times. Yeah, and I don't think that's that's much of a bad thing. Like one one thing you, you can gauge from that those pass maps is that he does have you know variety to his game. And I think when Arsenal are building from the back, the last thing they really need is the opposition absolutely knowing they are going to build from the back relentlessly here, no matter how much pressure we put on them. So if he's able to mix it up, like a few of those long passes there, obviously a few of them are um, inaccurate, but a few of them aren't. You know, some of them there to the halfway line and beyond mm. have been successful. So if he's able to keep doing that, I'm sure he will improve his accuracy. Um, but just the fact that he's got that variety to his game and his ability to complete those long passes in the in the area of the halfway line, you know, it bodes well for Arsenal's ability to build from the back. 
Now, Josh, that save from Madison's free kick, there's somehow debate about whether or not it was a good save that you may have seen online. <laughs> was it a good save, Josh? Or was it just, you know, just a you know routine day at the office for a goalkeeper? Well, I think that's um, typical Twitter galaxy brain stuff, to be honest. <laughs> People are overthinking it, trying to be clever. But yeah, it was a top save. Uh, I'll be honest, I had Ramsdale on my bench in fantasy football, so I'm not too happy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, is 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 saving so far this season? We I use a metric uh, related to expected goals, so it's called post shot expected goals, um, and it's basically it basically targets solely the shots on target that a goalkeeper faces, and determines whether or not he should save those shots. Mm. Basically, so if a goalkeeper saves exactly in line with his post shot expected goals, then he's saved to an average standard. If he saves below it, his keeping his goalkeeping has been below average. And if he saves above it, mm. his goalkeeping has been above average standard. And so far this season, again, it's very, very early, but so far this season, only Edward Mendy is yeah. overperforming to a greater extent than Ramsdale. So only Edward Mendy has prevented more goals above expectation than Ramsdale has so far. And I wouldn't be surprised if most of that originated from from this Leicester game. Mm, and Mendy from that Brentford game as well. You look back yeah. at that was yeah. It's amazing how kind of these one off games can have such an influence on on stats at times. But he, it was interesting. I think the expected conceded goals stat last season for for Ramsdale was pretty much bang on to what he was expected to at Sheffield United. But he faced a hell of a lot more shots during that season than he is facing at Arsenal right now. So how that stat develops, um, and we'll definitely keep you guys up to date with how that does develop, because Josh seems a big fan of that stat. So we'll uh, we'll return to that one. Josh, before we wrap things up, it would be averse of me not to talk about the, the obvious big news of the week and how that, and how you kind of see tactically this changing Tottenham Hotspur, um, Arsenal's big, big rivals. Are you? We had a little discussion off air, a little bit tongue-in-cheek about this, but do you think Arsenal fans should be worried about what Conte can do to, to Tottenham? In the short term, yes. I would I would be concerned if I was a Spurs fan. If I was an Arsenal fan, sorry. Um, Conte is is absolute top level. You know, There's no beating around the bush regard, regarding Conte's level. Um, I don't think there's any... I mean, sometimes he's compared to to Mourinho, um, but I I personally don't really see it. I see Conte as a more attacking coach. I see him as much more modern coach, much more intense, um, and recently, obviously, a lot more successful everywhere he's been. And I know he's been at top clubs, but specifically his time at Inter Milan recently. When he arrived at Inter Milan, I think they were fourth in Serie A. Uh, following season, I think he finished second. Following season, he finished first. Um, he transformed Chelsea. I think he, when he took over Chelsea, they just finished something like thirteenth under Jose Mourinho or whatever it was. Yeah, it was the season that they yeah fell out of Europe entirely. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of um, firing a rocket through a squad and getting them to perform <laughs> to a, a really really high level, Conte is that. I mean, what one thing that I will say about him is he's, he is obsessed with the whole concept of a back three. And he has specific profiles in mind as to who should represent his back three system, uh, you know, specific wing backs and things like that. And, mm. uh, so as a result of that, you end up shaping a squad for him. He doesn't really think too much about signing players under a certain age and things like that. So one thing clubs do tend to find with Conte is that when he leaves, he doesn't leave the squad in the best state. 
Um, but while he's there, he does deliver. So it will be interesting to see, given the squad of Spurs and the strength of Liverpool, City, Chelsea, it'll be interesting to see whether he can deliver at Spurs. Because if he does, that, in my opinion, will be his, his, his biggest triumph as a manager so far. Do you think he's got the personnel for that system? Like you look at the wing backs. I don't look at Emerson or Regulon as as we, I look at them as fullbacks. I mean Emerson at Barrel Betis played right back for for pretty much the entirety of, of his time there, and Regulon, of course, playing left back in a severe system and didn't really get too much of a look in at, at, at Real Madrid, but obviously playing left back for Spain too. He of the two looks more capable of playing wing back than Emerson. But what do you make of the and for the centre backs as well, like the personnel available to him to play that style? Well, Spurs have played it a little bit over the past couple of seasons. They have got similar centre backs to that. Christian Romero, I think, played mm. a little bit at, or most of the time. I think at Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, Eric Dyer is comfortable in a back three. Joe Rowan's playing the back three, Davinson it's, Sanchez. It's <laughs> True. They, I mean, individually, I'm not saying they're the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a system, I, I actually would would argue back on regular. I think he's a very suitable wing back for them. Emerson, I would agree, though. I think um, hmm. it'd be interesting to see what he does with the right side. Sometimes he converts a midfielder, doesn't he? The Victor Moses type thing. Yeah, of course. I'm trying to think. He would, he would Lucas Mora, you look at um, Steven yeah, Bergwijn. Could either of those two play? That, that role. I mean, you've obviously got um, Matt Doherty, I suppose, who did play as a right wing back at Wolves. So that's very true, yeah. And he scored a few goals as well. Mm. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he does. But I, I do think, generally, looking at the Spurs squad, I do think it's more suited to Conte than Manchester United squad, for example. It's going to be interesting. That's uh, that's for sure. I'm I'm a little bit happy we got the uh, North London derby out of the way. Which I was just going to say that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And lucky we got that. That's done. We don't have to worry about Spurs till later on next year, at least. Um, but plenty of other teams are going to have to traverse that when it comes. Uh, Josh, thanks so much again, as always, mate, for your time. I really appreciate it. Tell people where they can find you. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Distance Covered. Uh, do give me a follow, and uh, thanks for inviting me on, mate. No problem at all. Always a pleasure. You can find ourselves at the Arsenal Way N5 and myself at Tom Cantor Media. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow morning at 9.30am. As always, for our Arsenal Agenda series and there's plenty more content around Conte uh, from our Italian expert correspondents and also looking at some transfer targets as well, which I know Josh loves to get involved with. A good old look at a transfer target. Hopefully the ones we're getting won't go under his radar, quite like the congruence of Aris <laughs> did that. But we'll, uh, we'll enjoy the Dennis Zachary look that we did this week and if you haven't done so already we'll see you very very soon but keep following us down the arsenal way